0: So this episode of Next Stop Crazy Town is going to be a little different than my lighthearted funny stories. I want to talk to you about a friend that I lost too early. I lost her to a terrible disease and the mourning and the grieving process I went through, I realized I went through it more than once because I had lost her in her mind, but her body was still here, but then when she died, I lost her again and I wasn't expecting the feelings and the mourning that I had and what I went through to happen. So in this episode, I'm going to talk a little bit about when I met my dear friend Susie, some of our fun experiences, and then what happened when I lost her. Excuse me, Mom. Mom, excuse me. Mom. Excuse me, Mom. Mom. Welcome to Next Stop Crazy Town. This is Juliette Hahn, and I am the host of this weekly pod. I'm going to be sharing with you guys a little glimpse of my crazy world, I'm a mom of three, and I have two crazy boxer dogs. I will have guests some weeks, and some weeks it will just be me, but I will always be talking about uncomfortable things that have happened to me before motherhood or during motherhood. I just want you to know that you are not alone in this crazy world. Things happen that people don't like to talk about, but guess what? I do. I cannot wait for you guys to join me every week just to get a little laugh. I am recording this episode in honor of my friend Susie, who would have been 46 years old, February 10th. So I met Susie back in probably 1998, the end of 1997. Again, you guys know I'm not great with timetables but I know I was in a bar. <laughs> I was with a couple other friends. I was with a friend, um, Carrie who went to high school with Susie. And that's how I was introduced to Susie at first. She was a light. She literally walked into the bar and I remember thinking, Oh, look how cute she is. She was like big bubbly and this cute smile and was dressed to the nines and had like perfect makeup, not too much, not too little. And, um, She sat down, you know, all of us at the table were talking and I just remember her smile was just so inviting. And it was just like this, you know, she is like a, I can tell she's a fun one. You could see the twinkle in her eye and such a corny, (laughs) such a corny thing to say, but I could see, you know, I could just see the light and the laughter and the, the, just the lightness in who she was. And then she laughed. And I swear that whole bar stopped. And it was a dark bar. I remember we were sitting in a booth and it was a dark bar. And the entire bar... I felt like stopped and just looked at us and was like, what are you guys laughing about? So she was a small girl, as I said, she was tiny. And this laugh that she had was so hearty. It was almost like a, I don't want to say a cackle because it wasn't anything. There was nothing offensive of it. It was just a perfect laugh that made you happy. Whatever mood you were in, you just were happy because it was a fun, fun laugh. So Susie went to she was in art school when I first met her and I had just moved to the city or I was about to move to the city. And, um, she went back to Boston and I, you know, continued my life in in the city with, uh, you know, I, I was actually met my soon to be husband soon, um, after that. And, uh, you know, just working and going to lunch and dinners and going to the bars pretty much with my friends. And, um, I do remember when Susie decided she was going to move to New York City full-time. And I remember being like excited. I was like, oh, um, you know, this is cool because she was definitely, I got a great vibe from her. She's a fun girl and I know we're going to have fun. And my friend Carrie, that is her mutual friend or was our mutual friend is, I mean, (laughs) she's a fun girl. So I was really pumped about it. And Carrie was in the city and then I had my high school friend in the city and, you know, we had made a bunch of other friends, but I was like, this is going to be some really good times. And that we did. We had, I mean, the laughs that we had, We're like no other. It's just like, I felt like when I met Susie, it was, I've always known her. She was comfortable, you know, just a really, you could tell just a really good girl. And so she moved to the city. And again, we would just, you know, go out at night. She kind of just folded right in with our crowd. And, and, uh, she worked, she's an artist. So she worked in a special needs school, um, teaching art. And I remember the first year that she had the job, she got sick all the time. She was like, oh my gosh, they said it's going to be better. And I, all you teachers out there, you probably know what I'm talking about. You kind of get sick for the first year. Every cold the kid has, you get every stomach bug. And she, I mean, would get nailed. And it was like, she's like I don't know if I'm cut out for this. This is like killer. I mean, it was all constant, but she loved teaching those kids because she really, really was passionate about sharing art and having people love it as much as she did. So I'm going to take you, you know, tell you a couple stories that um, really come to mind when I think of Susie when we were in the city. So there was this one New Year's Eve. I was dating Dan at the time. I don't know if she was dating anyone or there's maybe a guy she was dating that was out with us. And we went out late night, had a super fun time, you know, late, late party. And we were on our way home. And I guess we stopped and got Dunkin' Donuts and got munchkins. But we got like the powdered munchkins. And definitely in, you know, when we were at this party, it was probably early 2000s, you know, late 99, we were all wearing black and we were walking back to her apartment. We were going back to her apartment, I guess, for some nightcaps. So we were all going up and we had these munchkins and I remember walking up the stairs. She definitely had like a three story walk up. And as we're all walking up with our heels, having one too many cocktails, I don't know who started it, but we started having a munchkin fight with these powdered donuts, nailing them at each other. And I just remember sitting on the stairs laughing so hard that I couldn't even like walk up the next stair. And each of us was doing it as we were like chasing each other up the stairs or like falling to the ground because we were laughing so hard. And that's what the kind of friendship that we had. It was light. It was fun. You know, we, we definitely were there for the hard times, but most of the time we just had a good time and just were laughing. And it was just a, it was just a really good time. So the other time, I'll never forget, and this was multiple times, but Susie's dad got her a scooter, got her one of those like first motorized scooters. And I was living downtown and she was living in the in Midtown and she couldn't really keep it in her apartment. So like at times she'd be like, can you just take it? And I was a better driver than her. And so we would literally go out, meet after work, go, you know, have dinner or go to the bar to get drinks. You know, half of the time we probably had like French fries and, you know, and whatever we were drinking at the time. and. I would get her on my back pretty much and drive her to her apartment, and then I would drive back down. And she was on the west side, and this time I was on the east side. Um, I take that back. It could have been when I was in the West Village, again, with the timing and so many different apartments in my early years of the city. I don't quite remember, but I do remember being on that scooter (laughs) with her on my back and her laugh. Um, It was just good times, good, fun times. And as I said, we were there for each other's hard times. But when you were young, mid-twenties in the city, there was not a lot that was going wrong. Life was really good. And we had, again, fun, fun times. So now comes 2001, and we were in the city for 9-11. And it hit us hard, obviously, like it hit everyone. I happened to be homesick I had started a new job and I was homesick and I was staying at my uh at Dan's apartment, who was my boyfriend at the time. So I was on the Upper East Side, but I lived in the West Village um, on Christopher Street. And my brother was living with me at the time, because I was staying at Dan's the most of the time. And he was going to school. And Susie was at work and Dan was at work. And I'll never forget my sister. It was before the circuits all went down. My sister called me and she's like, Oh my God, where is your office? Where is your office? Something something's terrible is happening. A plane hit the Twin Towers. And I was like, what? She's like, turn the. I'm like, no, I'm I'm um I'm, I'm homesick. I'm home. I couldn't even get my wits around me. I turned the TV on and I'll never forget seeing, you know, the towers, uh, what what happened. And I panicked because I was thinking, okay, I did know some people down there, but not not too many. And I did know, I did, we did have one friend and we were able to get in touch with him and he was fine. But I knew my brother was on Christopher Street. I knew Susie was at, you know, at her work, which is, it was in Midtown at the time. And my husband was in Midtown and I, we didn't know what was happening, obviously. And then we heard it was a terrorist attack. So then you just panic because you're like, oh my gosh, where do I go? You know, we're all separated. So we were all able to connect somehow, some miracle. And my brother, Susie and Dan walked up the, um, either the west side or east side, but they walked up and got to the apartment. So they had to have been on the east side. And we went to dinner and I'll never forget, we did not say one word, not one word. We didn't have a glass of wine. We didn't do anything. We sat in silence and just in disbelief and sadness that this happened in the city that we loved. And so that night we did say, and everyone stayed at Dan's apartment because it was far up, so it was safe. We did say, you know what? We can't just sit here. You know, obviously our offices are closed. We can't just sit here and not do anything. So we found a place to volunteer for. And the bunch of us, I mean, we volunteered probably for 5, 6 days. Susie and I stayed longer because we were just able to do that. And there was the post that we were at, it was really close downtown and and to the site. And they needed socks because all the firemen and all the policemen the the water was just flooding their socks. So every like everything, you know, all the lines that were broken from 9-11. And every night that we went home, we would go to different stores and just pick up these tube stocks and make sure that we had a ton that we can bring the next day. And I'll tell you that we really bonded that day. Like that was, even though we were really good friends and we were becoming really good friends, we were like, this was a huge event, a huge thing in history and a terrible, you know, terrible, sad event. And, that uh, after that, Susie actually got a dog after that because she was so sad and she needed something. And then she re- reunited with her college boyfriend, um, which was kind of crazy. And so those are some of the like little memories of Susie in the beginning. And I have so many more, but I, you know, this is a sh- supposed to be a short podcast. Um, I don't want to go into everyone, but you kind of get the gist. We had a really, really good time. And then Susie moved to, she got married, she moved to Connecticut. We moved to Brooklyn because we needed a bigger place. It was kind of like, you know, people stayed in Manhattan or you kind of moved to the suburbs. And we moved to Brooklyn. She moved to Connecticut. And we still kept in touch. So, we, you know, we talked to each other as much as we could see each other. We would see each other. And then we moved years later to Connecticut. And it was a couple towns over. And I remember Susie just being like so excited. And I was excited. She was like, I can't believe you didn't move to the town that we live in. But I was like, I know, I know. We're moving a little closer to the city because damn still was commuting in the city. And every week um, we would still see each other. So she had uh, kids. I had my kids. And we would do like she would come over on a Friday or a Thursday, or I would go vice versa. And we would have pizza. And Susie and I would drink wine and just dance with the kids and sing. I mean, just we're like silly because that's how we were. We were so silly and loved to make each other laugh and then the kids laugh. So, you know, it was like a party whenever we were there. And then her laugh, I mean, my kids still, we talk about Susie's laugh. It was just the best, best laugh. I wish, you know, these are like the times that I get Emotional because I just wish I could hear that laugh one more time, and I hate that I never recorded it. I I really I hate that I never recorded it. Um, so time went on. Obviously, my kids got older, her kids got older, and our weekly you know meetings came a little bit to an end because we had sports and stuff like that. But we still talked all the time, and she and I would get lunch then, so we would see each other and have lunch, and. There was a couple of times where I was like, you know, Susie's acting strange. But there was a lot of stuff going on in her life that, you know, I was like, maybe I'd be acting strange too. I didn't know. But as time went on, there was um, some incidents that people close to her family thought maybe she was using substance. So she was encouraged to go into a rehab, and it turned out when she got there that it was not any kind of drug. She quickly they brought her to a brain institute in Texas, and when they scanned her brain, they found that it was smaller and um, there was no action happening in it. And she was diagnosed with frontal lobe dementia. Now, this is someone that's 41 years old. 41 years old. Just let that sit with you a sec. 41. A mom, a wife, a friend, a sister, a cousin, an aunt. And she has a disease called frontal lobe dementia at 41. So being a friend, I was like, okay, what is this? What does this entail? What can we do? What can we do? She was moved into a home. Her The father of the kids had, had you know, the kids, they were safe and they were loved and, you know, they, they were continuing to go see her. And I took one of my days um, during the week and I went and I would have lunch with her and she still was silly. Susie was still silly. Um, she remembered who I was because with frontal lobe dementia, you basically lose your inhibitions. You lose your empathy and your sympathy. Um, And you kind of start acting like a child. So there was times where she would do things that were uncomfortable, but it was my Susie. And I would never, ever, ever have left her, you know, with me not going to visit because she was such a part of my life. So we, you know, as, as the time which she had to then be moved into a different kind of home because things that she was doing were a little bit scary. So like she would just take off and run. So the aid that had her just couldn't do it anymore. She just, you know, it was just turned to be a little too difficult. And, um, I was able to still go see her though in the facility It was a little bit longer, but I was like, you know what, I'm still making this work. And so I would go and I have to say, you know, there would be days that I would leave and I would just be laughing like that was a really good visit. We had so much fun. I either played ball with her outside or, you know, we wrestled. I mean, it sounds so silly to hear a grown woman saying that she was wrestling with her friend. But these are the things that we did because these are the things that would bring Susie back out of life. Um, and not doing some of her quirky stuff. And I became close with the AIDS. And uh, it was a special day for me to go on Friday and just spend time with my friend. And, you know, there was times where I was going through stuff in my life, you know, hard stuff, but like just normal life stuff. And I missed being able to talk to my friend. I missed to be able to share with my friend and ask advice, like, hey, what would you do in this situation? I just need to talk something out. I didn't have that anymore. I didn't have my close friend there to be able to do that. And that was really hard. So at those times, I was mourning the loss of my friend. I didn't have my Susie anymore. I, you know, it was the shell. It looked like Susie as it. You know, as time went on, it, the disease definitely got her, um, deteriorated her. She definitely didn't have wrinkles, and I would laugh at her. I'd be like, "Oh, can't believe you don't have wrinkles! You don't have life worries, um, the aids that she had. I mean, I couldn't believe that when this happened. You know, her family had to find a place for her." And they searched and searched. And for a little while, they couldn't find a place. No one could take a 41-year-old woman that was active, that was run. She never stopped. She would run, 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 hop, skip, jump. And they, you know, this was old people, 80s and 90s that had dementia or Alzheimer's. So it took them a really long time. And oh, my heart just went out to them. The fact that this family had to find a place to keep her, you know, their wife, their mom, their sister, their daughter safe. It was just so heartbreaking. And um, they did a great job. They all rallied together and they found, you know, a place called Maplewood, which is in Connecticut. And it was a really beautiful facility. You never would know that it was an old age home. You kind of felt like when you walked in, it was like a, a really nice hotel. Um, and then you would look around and realize you were in an old age home. But She was happy there, and she had amazing, amazing aides that loved her. Iris, Melissa, Nicole, that took care of her, always put her makeup on. When I said Susie always had makeup on, they always made sure she looked great. She always had the, the newest outfit. She was so trendy, always had the fanciest sunglasses and the fanciest car and all that kind of stuff, and they made sure that she always had that, and it was really it was so sweet to see, and during this time... When um, she was transitioning, I remember I had put on weight because I was stressed over what was happening to her, and I didn't realize, and my body was changing because now I was 40. And um, she would tell you, that's the other thing about the frontal lobe dementia, they just say it how it is. And there was a couple times she said to me, she's like, you look like shit, you're getting fat. And I remember being like, oh okay, yeah, I'm putting some weight on because of you, motherfucker. You are making me put weight on because I'm having a bottle of wine stressing over you. Oh my God. Um, But that actually is what got me into virtual health and fitness. That actually stopped me in my tract. And I then started taking care of myself, figuring out, okay, I need to eat balanced. I can't just eat whatever I want. Um, so those were some really interesting times with her. And But I always think about she would be right here next to me coaching. She would be one of my top coaches. We would have had so much fun teaching classes together. But everything happens for a reason, right? I, I still don't know what the reason behind losing Susie, but I know one day um, it will it will shine its light. I know one day there will be, you know, something, whether it's research or stuff that, you know, her family does for frontal lobe dementia. Um, her boys are taken care of and they are so loved. And they um, you know, they but they lost their mom so early to such a terrible disease. So those days, um, I would go, I would, as I said, I would love my days. Some days I would leave laughing. Some days I would go into the car crying my eyes out, just thinking, how is this happening to my friend? How is this happening? And then I moved to Long Island and um, I didn't see her every week. And that was really, really hard. With the disease, you lose certain things. So every, you know, certain stage of her life, she would lose stuff. So this time she she wasn't talking and she wasn't talking for a long time, um, which was, really hard to see because she wasn't able to communicate with you anymore, but you still know she was in there to see, you know, she could still hear you and understand you. Um, but limited because again of the disease, but it was hard for me when I did go see her to, you know, say, I'm sorry, I'm sorry that I'm not here to see you every week. You know, I moved and and I know you would understand. Um, the other thing is I would take my kids to go see her every chance because they knew Susie, they knew Susie's kids. We were close with them and I didn't want them to not know like, well, what happened to Susie? She just all of a sudden disappeared. So we would go. And I have to say some of those days were really good days in in the home, like going to see the other old people. They were so thankful that these young kids came and my kids are so good. They would play puzzles and sit with them and eat lunch and ask them questions, even though that, you know, the elderly would ask them 500 times, what's your name? Are you my grandson? But they saw a side of the world that not everyone does. And, you know, some people like to shelter their kids from that. But I thought it was really important that they were able to see, you know, that Susie was taken care of and that she was loved and um, and kind of what was going on. And there was times towards the end that it was hard and the kids would say, you know, mom, it's really hard to see her like this. And I understood what they were saying. It was hard for a lot of people to see. And a lot of people, I don't want to say turn their backs on her, but there was a lot of people that just couldn't see her and go. Um. And I was, I never wanted that, I never wanted that feeling because I never wanted her to think I let her down or I never would want to let her down. I enjoyed so much to go see her, but it was hard to see my friend deteriorating in front of me. It was really, really hard. But um, I moved to Long Island and I wasn't able to see her as much. And that this summer she really declined. And I went and I said, you know, my last goodbyes. And um, she passed in September. And I had a really hard time, a really hard time. I thought that I had grieved and mourned my friend when she was diagnosed, when I lost her as you know a person. But it I, I didn't. I, I went through it all over again. And I just, I, I broke down. It was a really, some really dark times. And then her family had a a wonderful life celebration. And I was asked to say something. And I remember I was trying to find pictures too, because I wanted pictures for a slideshow. And I realized that a lot of my pictures were in storage and that, Oh, I was devastated, but I found some. And then I was going to think of some stories that I wanted to tell. And I first was like, Oh, there's some stories that I don't, the boys don't need to hear right now. (laughs) They're young. They don't need to hear about, you know, Susie and I had a really good time at the bars. Um, but I wanted them to, you know, they knew that she was fun because they remember her as fun. And so I, I, you know, Kept trying to think of some stories, and I was saying to my husband, "I can't think of anything past her in the home." And it, I mean, I just would break down, and I just, you know, I just tried so hard to think of these stories, and I did come up with a few. the The couple that I'm, you know, telling you now, I did forget the one on New Year's Eve, which is kind of crazy, but I remember the the scooter and the nine eleven and. Um, just thinking back, it was, I, for whatever reason, there was a blockage. I could just see Susie in this home with this disease. And after this life celebration, she came back to me. All the memories, all like just, and now when I picture her, I picture the Susie that I knew, not the Susie that was in the home, not the deteriorating Susie, not the Susie that, you know, had frontal lobe dementia. I saw my friend in her twenties and, her laugh, I could hear, I could really hear it. I can replay it in my mind, but it was so crazy to me that I couldn't hear that for so long. I couldn't hear it. And, um, if you have lost a friend or you are, you know, in the middle of a friend being sick, you're going to go through different morning stages. And I wasn't expecting it. And I thought I was, I thought I was pretty prepared and I really wasn't. And it was, it was hard. It was a hard bunch of months just trying to kind of weed through all the emotions I was having and not understanding the emotions I was having and then being pissed at the emotions I was having. And you know, wanting to fucking scream at someone because of the emotions I was having and because I missed my fucking friend and, and then I was angry and then, oh, it was, it was a lot. It was a lot. So if you're going through that, I definitely, you should definitely talk about it. Like, not, nah, I mean, I talked about it, you as I, I think you're getting to know me in my podcast, I don't really hide my feelings. And I'm just like this. I wear my emotions on this my sleeve. If you, you know, if I'm happy, you're going to see me happy. If I'm pissed, you're going to see me pissed. And, you know, um, If I'm sad, you're going to see me sad. I can't fake it. But sometimes it's good just to talk about it and get a good cry out. So I really, really encourage you to do that. I want to hear your stories, though. I want to hear, if you're ready, email me at juliet, J-U-L-I-E-T, at nextstopcrazytown.com. I thank you so much for listening in and joining me for this episode. This, as I said, took me 50 tries. All over the place. My editor probably is chuckling because um, I also, every time I started a story and I would go to like 50 different stories, um, I would be like, Oh, I'm so sorry, Kim. Oh my gosh, I'm so sorry. This is so hard. I was having such a hard time. But I think I think this one I nailed it. I think this one I nailed it. And I think there was some other ones that I recorded that had some nuggets that we can kind of, you know, weed through. But I just thank you for joining me and please share my podcast. Please, you know, go and write a review. Send me um, an email to let me know what you think. Share it with your friends, especially, you know, if this one kind of touched a nerve, you know, uh, then my other ones, you know, and, you know, friends are going through this. Just, you know, share, rate and review my podcast. It gets it out. And I, all I want to do is just relate with women and, you know, put them in a better place, whether it's through laughing um, or maybe sometimes we just need a fucking good cry. So I'm going to leave you with this as my quote of the day. It's a little bit more than a quote. This was in Susie's little um, booklet that was made for her, her family made for her after her passing. Don't think of her as gone away. Her journey has just begun. Life holds so many facts. The earth is only one. Just think of her as resting from the sorrows and the tears in the place of a warm and comfort where there are no days and years. Think how she must be wishing that we could know today how nothing but our sadness can really pass away. And think of her as living in the hearts of those she touched. For nothing love is ever lost as she was loved so much. And this just wrapped it up. Oh, that's beautiful. That was an emotional one. Thank you guys for listening to my stories of my friend. I loved recording this now that it's over and listening back to hearing it is just so special. Don't forget to email me with your stories. And I'm sorry for those have gone through the loss of a friend, the loss of a loved one. It is never easy. All right. I'll see you guys later. I hope you liked this episode of Next Stop Crazy Town. If you liked what you heard, please subscribe to my channel, share with your friends, and join in every week. For more information, check out nextstopcrazytown.com.